Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to Island B Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out how they're succeeding. However, today I'm going to do something a little bit different that I think will be helpful for anybody who's new. We have Matt Cook, who is a BRM with Scotia Mortgages. And I thought I'd have Matt on to talk about how to work with your underwriter. I mean, we talk about Scotia a bit, but this is true for working with any underwriter at a lender. And a couple of things we talk about is how to get more approvals when you're dealing with your underwriter, what sort of things the top brokers do to improve their funding ratios. And finally, we talk about why relationships are key to getting more yeses. Now, I want you to really listen intently to what Matt has to say because this guy knows his stuff. In 2021, he personally underwrote and funded 1,620 mortgages. And that's him by himself, no assistant, no fulfillment person, one person basically sitting there crushing out mortgages day after day. And he knows what he's talking about. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. And the whole purpose is to help educate you on how to work better with your lender partners so that you get more approvals. And ultimately, you can help more clients. Before we jump into this conversation today, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform. Very, very easy to use for the consumer as well as the broker. It's got some cool features baked in like smart docs. It knows based on the client's application what documents are going to need. It's got smart submission notes, so it pulls key data from the application, puts it into the submission notes so that your lender doesn't have to go looking for it. Keep in mind, guys, on the other side of this, when you hit submit, every lender has a different platform portal. And so it just makes it easy for them. And then finally, it's got integration with Lender Spotlight, which is the best tool for searching for rates, guidelines, policies, and you can figure out where to send it. And even before you hit the submit button, it reminds you, hey, don't forget this lender has you know this XYZ policy. Check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and book a free demo and enjoy this conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, having me, Scott. Hey, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Currently, I'm a broker relationship manager for Scotia Bank. I've been in the industry since about 2004. I think I started my career at CIBC as a level one mail delivery person delivering through various departments. In about the four years that I worked at CIBC, I went from a level one to a level six funding manager, which was unprecedented back then. Then I decided to leave and I went to MCAB and started underwriting for their existing client team and then slowly made my way through various management positions and eventually took over the originations department for RMG and then deciding to leave Scotiabank in about 2017. So I've been broker relationship manager since then. And so to me, I always say the BRM at Scotia is kind of like the NHL of underwriting. You guys are like, this is the big leagues. You can't get there unless you have to be extremely experienced fast because you guys have to do all your own files. What's unique about Scotia model or, you know, there's a couple of people that do something similar, but there's no one else touching your stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. It's full case management, full fulfillment, as well as, you know, providing sales training to mortgage agents as well and helping my funder when need be. When I first started interviewing for Scotiabank, I had about five separate interviews with various VPs and I did have to provide a bunch of information in terms of the brokers that I've dealt with. So when I first had my interview, I gave them an Excel sheet of about a hundred brokers nationwide that I've dealt with or I've worked with in the past. So it was a lot of experience that you had to bring to the table to become a broker relationship manager. It took a while to get in here. When did you start there? November 2017. And I started the interview process, I would say about August of that year. Okay. And so previously, I didn't realize, but so CIBC, you started in the mailroom. How did you go from mailroom to funding manager? 
So prior to uh, getting in the financial industry, I was working a lot of dead-end jobs, warehouse jobs, didn't really have any direction or focus. My best friend at the time, still is my best friend, got me an interview into the mail team. And through that position, I was looking at different avenues within CIBC and underwriting was one of the key jobs that I loved. It was just, it was an interesting position, learning credit, learning how to adjudicate, speaking with brokers. So I made it my goal to eventually move to underwriting, which took a little bit of time. It took about four years to get there. I started, let's see, I worked in the mail team and then I moved up to what they call as a multifunctional officer. So this is all post-advanced servicing stuff for mortgages. So, you know, calculating penalties, including IRD and three months interest, tax components, prepayment adjustments, all that post-advanced servicing stuff. It actually gave me a lot of information to move forward because when I got into underwriting, I eventually got to the point where I knew mortgages from start to basically uh, discharge. After leaving CIBC, I actually, I tried to become a mortgage agent and realizing I was just terrible at that. My concept for me being a mortgage agent was 360 mortgages. So being able to give a client any type of advice from, you know, originations all the way to the discharge, the end of the life of that mortgage, which I thought was a unique approach to mortgages at that time. Yeah, yeah, because you understood the whole process. So, okay, I got to ask about penalties. So what is something about penalty calculations that most people don't understand or know? The three months interest is pretty easy. At that time, they always told us that you'll never see IRD penalties. That'll never happen. And then obviously a couple of years later with the market meltdown in 2008, IRD was everything. I always found the confusing part for people specifically is understanding how to calculate the IRD versus, you know, the best posted rate and what IRD differential you're using. So generally with IRD penalties, the interest rate differential is based on what your remaining term is for that posted or best discounted rate. So if you have a five-year term and you say you're three years left in that term, the penalty for IRD is calculated based on that three-year current posted or best discounted rate, depending on what lender it does. And I find right. it very difficult for agents to grasp that, so to speak. Right. And then depending on which way the rates are going, can create large penalties, right, for mortgages. Absolutely, that's, yeah. That's one of the downsides of that. Okay. So what's something that you said you worked at MCAP and then RMG. So what's something that you learned from MCAP? that you found would be either useful for brokers to know? You know, I'm just curious. To be honest, I learned about everything and anything at MCAP. MCAP is, I would say, one of the best lenders out there. They taught me everything and anything about underwriting. I always told clients and agents that I got the title of underwriter at CIBC, but I became an underwriter at MCAP. The right. complexities of skills, the training that they provide, the volumes that come in, you start to learn, you start to understand the complexities of each deal. They taught me how to manage people, how to coach people. It's just a wonderful place to work. If any underwriter is looking to get a, a position, I would say MCAP and RMG is probably the best place to learn to become an underwriter. Right. And hey, man, you're in the NHL now, so that you did. So you said your role at Scotia is a business relationship manager. If somebody doesn't know what that is, define that for me, just so that people know. So broker relationship manager. So it's basically underwriting, fulfillment, and sales all put together. You know, I provide the rate sheets. I do the training when I can to my brokerages. I also do the full case underwriting and the full case fulfillment as well. So Document, everything and anything. You review all the documents, right? Review all the documents, even funding documents as well. Our funders are phenomenal in terms of like reading titles, doing setting up bridges and doing all that. That's a requirement for us as well. Wow. And so what's the most number of files that you've worked on at one time? So... <laughs> I would say last year, I did about 1,620 deals last year. I would say each and every day, I literally had 100 deals in my queue. 
there was no end in sight for most of the year. So you really, all you do is you just put your head down and just work away one task at a time. But each day there was a hundred deals in my queue, nonstop. Okay. So obviously you learn how to work hard and efficiently. What are some of the things you do to be more efficient? So like if I'm a mortgage broker, I'm not closing 1,620 mortgages in a year, but what are some of your things that you do to push through that much paper? And, you know, that's a good question. My working hours are very different. I don't look at this position as a career. It's more like a lifestyle, just based on the fact, for instance, yesterday I was downtown in Toronto at an underappreciation night with John Barge's team and Simbix team, which is something that's just over and above what I do now. It's three hours away from where I live. So I live in Kingston. What I generally do, how I approach my day is I'm usually up pretty early, like five in the morning. Generally at five in the morning, not a lot of brokers are up in that early. So I can focus a lot on a lot of the emails or a lot of the deals that I need to complete right before my day actually starts. And generally what I like to do is, you know, I like to get my emails clean to like zero right until about nine o'clock until the brokers start waking up. And then I start working on deals. And what I try to do is I try to toggle back and forth, say doing you know, three deals and then start doing a whole bunch of emails and toggling back and forth from there. Last year was very, very different because of the immense amount of volumes that was coming in in all avenues, where the toggling was a little less efficient, just based on the fact that I was just trying to keep my head above water. With efficiencies, I have a lot of posted notes that I use, the, you know, add appraisal notes in there, my down payment notes. So everything's already set up. So all I have to do is just input some information and then place it onto the deal rather than having to write out like a down payment note or a prison note on every deal. I see. Uh, things okay. like so that. Use some templates to shorten the time it takes to put some of that stuff together. Yep. Yep. Use email templates. Email templates, post-it notes, you know, those little post-it notes you have on your, your laptop. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Just place them like, I hope to God you don't have like sticky notes all over your place. It'd be like very difficult to keep track of with a hundred of them, but you're saying there's basically oh, no, like, like templated things that you use that allow you to become more efficient. Okay, so dude, that's an insane number of mortgages, first off, like amazing. What's advice you have for a broker who's working with Scotia so they can get more files approved? So like, if you could sit here and talk to a broker who's working with a Scotia BRM, knowing what your side looks like, give me some ideas and things we could do to improve our success rate. Well, first things first, I think the relationship is the most important thing. You know, speaking on the phone or, at, or meeting up with your broker, just to get an idea of where they're coming from, where you're coming from, is probably the most important thing to do. Once you eliminate that barrier and are having conversations, it makes the whole process a lot easier. For brokers coming in, data integrity is always key. Make sure that everything is down to the cent, making sure you have your employment information correct in there and the hours and terms making sure you have detailed notes and providing docs up front. You know, if there's something wrong with the docs, say for instance, the income's a little bit lower than what's stated in the application, the agent should be advising as to why that's happening. So if I'm getting information and clarification on the docs that I'm getting right up front, right off the bat, you're already getting a smooth commitment. Whereas if I'm underwriting a deal and the agent's notes are, hey, clean deal, please approve. And I come back with a whole bunch of questions, then it's just going to be in delay with that mortgage Yeah, because now if you've got 100 files in your queue, now you're bouncing back. Try to get it through the first time. So what is something that like the top brokers that you work with that crush lots of loans with you, what is something that they do that you wish other people did? Conversations up front, for sure. Uh, usually I get a phone call from my brokers to discuss the deal right off the bat. If and then once we have that. But if there's something, if there's a nuance, you don't talk on every single file, but like we're talking. No, no. Yeah, right. But. Most of the time, it's just really docs up front, data integrity, you know, information provided that provides clarification on the entire deal. That just makes the job more efficient. One of my biggest teams is RMA down in London. Last year, they did about 300 million with me. And 
They were really, really efficient last year. They left me alone and didn't inundate me with emails and docs because they knew, you know, the amount of volumes that we were getting last year. So, you know, they'll give me full packages. They'll provide information all the time. It's more of um, me just approving the deal rather than having to go back and forth with them. That makes it easier for you. And then you get files approved. You know, what's interesting. You said the first thing your answer was relationships important that even though we're in a business where underwriting is not just one plus one equals two, because Uh if it was, they have software that does it. There is a human element to this currently anyway, that still needs to look at it and make sense of it. And so the relationship is absolutely critical. You know, I I always tell Jim Trelucas says when his underwriter from Scotia calls, he puts his clients on hold. He's like, if my underwriter calls, I'm going to answer the phone from my underwriter because my underwriter is working on lots of my files. This is just one file. And I think more brokers, they need to understand how this business actually works. Oh, 100%. It is total relationship. It's the middle word of my title, right? Right. That's right. That's true. Okay. So what are the common mistakes that you see when underwriting a file? So you said like data integrity is income or down payment, the bigger pain for you? Down payment is the biggest. Generally with income, I won't underwrite a deal unless I have income up front. So you're generally nine times out of 10, you're getting a commitment with either income signed off or I'm asking for an additional document, say like a T4 or something like that. Biggest pains are, yeah, I would say down payment right off the bat. Because down payment can get a little bit wonky. Oh, I moved money. I did this. Do people annotate? I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, how do they give it to you in a way that makes sense? So it's like, you know, is it just a stack of documents? Go figure it out. Do they circle the specific transactions and then make notes on it for you? Like what's preferred for when you're getting down payment? Actually, all of the above, actually. I have a couple of brokers that provide templates for the down payment and highlight everything in in regards to transfers back and forth. I have other agents who circle or highlight the the deposits, transfers going in back and forth. And I'll get detailed emails explaining the down payment from start to finish. So as long as it's explained, it's not like necessarily how, as long as you can explain to me where the money went, follow the money, but don't make me have to sift through 30 pages to find those transactions, right? It's how, where, and why, so to speak. Our down payment notes, we're actually required to do a reasonability note. So if the down payment is $400,000 and say the clients are 22 years old, there has to be a reason of how they accumulated that down payment. It's not just, okay, well, the down payment has been transferred here, there, and the other, in the where. Tell me how these clients at such a young age can accumulate such a large amount of money. So it's, right. there's more to the story right. than just the documents. There needs to be a reasonability behind it as well. Right. It needs to make sense. I once did a file for a guy who, this was back on Facebook, like this was many years ago. Guys made a fortune. So he sold on Facebook affiliate marketing. So whatever you'd see on Facebook, click, he'd get a cut of it. And between January and March, he had done a million dollars in pay, went into his account from, and he was about 26 or 27 at the time. And I sent it into my scotia. She's like, what does this guy do? Like you can see 70 grand, you know, 200 grand, 150 grand, like all these transactions that were into his bank account. And I'm like, he does Facebook marketing. And you know, the guys, he's ended up buying five or six properties and it was all legit. But now Facebook, of course, is so much more difficult to, you know, he'd spend $10,000 in a day just to make back 20, right? Oh, because yeah. it worked. But now you can't do that. Like, you know, half the stuff that he sold, I don't think they'd even let you post on Facebook anymore. No, the clients are going to TikTok and YouTube. I've done quite a few deals where there were YouTubers making just a ton of money doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm in the wrong business. I just do videos all day and make money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. YouTubers. That's interesting. Okay. So that's a good point on that. How does somebody get good at underwriting? So somebody's listening to this like this, you know, how do I actually get good at underwriting? What would your suggestions be? Years of experience, confidence, 
education as well. I've taken several courses in the past in order to get to where I am. I've taken real estate law classes, taken the underwriting foundation class back when this was 14 courses rather than the current mortgage agent course. And I've taken the mortgage agent course a couple of times as well. Experience in understanding deals, understanding credit, and you know, just having those conversations with brokers as well. You learn a lot from brokers just from an underwriting perspective. The education though is a big key. If you don't have the education in not understanding what you're doing in terms of for mortgages, it's a little bit difficult to get into it. And it's like just, learning another language. It's kind of like learning like Spanish or something because it's got its yeah. own whole and it's got all these exceptions. It's not like it's completely, and oh, by the way, the language changes when the rules change and the government changes or the lenders. So it's even more complex, right? Oh yeah, it's a um, constant learning process. Yeah, I've always, I don't know, you can agree or disagree with me on this. I think it's very difficult to learn underwriting from a book though, from like guidelines. You just reading guidelines doesn't seem to stick in people's heads. What I find is if you have real files to work on with a real client who's gonna be really upset, if you screw it up, your real paycheck's on the line, all of a sudden, mm -hmm. all the nuance of that file becomes like, you know, very evident and you pay way more attention. And so it seems Absolutely. like the kind of thing, like you can read about, my daughter just took her driving test not that long ago and she did great on it, but that doesn't mean she's like fantastic at driving yet. She's getting better now because she's been driving, but the written test is not the same as being on the road and other drivers and all of the dynamic of that. And I feel like underwriting is a lot like that because it's so dynamic, you know? It's true. It's very, very true. I actually, I had, um, Back when I was working at MCAP, I had to terminate a couple of underwriters that we hired from a different lender at that time. And on paper, during the interview process, that particular underwriter knew what he was talking about, knew everything word for word, line by line. But once yeah. he got into the trenches, he just couldn't understand, you know, anything from start to finish. Right. It was an interesting process. Yeah, yeah. That's part of managing people. Now you just have to manage yourself. So you've said, you know, this is something we've chatted about before, but so you've seen the current training for new agents. If you could change it, what kind of things would you do to improve the new broker training that we have? I honestly think it needs to be a lot more robust. You know, I've studied the books, I've gone to the courses and I've taken a look at the online course. I'm not a big fan of the online course. I don't even know if they actually still do calculations, which is huge because if you can't understand the difference between how to calculate GDS and TDS, then you got a big problem. There also needs to be a sales marketing aspect of the program as well. I don't think that comes into play at all in the education that's provided. I think it's like one chapter within the book. Honestly, in class as well. I love in class because you learn a lot more of being in class and talking to one another rather than, you know, going online and doing the education online. I just find it very, very difficult to be able to retain and understand the processes that you're working. Right. And it's just an expansion of stuff, adding real estate law in there as well, you know, Real estate law is huge in terms of mortgages and understanding it from the solicitor's perspective as well. You know, learning from an origination's perspective, if you can't read a title or search or a parcel register or even understand what happens in terms of, you know, telling the difference between a regular legal description or a meets and bounds legal description, so to speak, there's a lot that needs to be added to the program just to get to a person where they should be in terms of a mortgage agent or underwriter. Right. Yeah, I agree. It definitely could use a significant overhaul. And you had said you jumped into trying to be an agent and you were like, wait a second, this wasn't for me. So what surprised you about being an agent? Because you obviously know, under, dude, I don't know if there's anybody that I've met that has the depth of experience that you have crammed in the short period of time, but what surprised you about being an agent? The hustle as a mortgage agent. I can do with a hustle. At that time, though, I was very, very young and relatively new-ish to the industry. I didn't really have the proper brokerage behind me at the time. So I didn't really get that training process as other people get in I Love Mortgage Brokering. 
it's a different level of eyes when a mortgage agent looks at a deal versus an underwriter. There's very different views. And the massaging of the deal from an agent would be very, very different from an underwriter, so to speak. So it's totally different underwrite when you're a mortgage agent than an underwriter. Very, very different. Right. I get your feedback on this. So one of the things that we did with the brokerage that I saw when people have a mentor model and usually they have a busy mentor. So they want to be mentored by somebody who knows what they're doing, but when they're busy, they can't always get back to you. So then you're like, Hey, if you're my mentor, Hey, Matt, can you help me out on a file? Dude, I'm fixing my own problems here. I'll get back to you later today when I can. And so what I thought was like, wouldn't it be great if there was a way for people to go and see an underwriting coach who's not working on their own files, you know, in a live zoom room, look at the file, pull up the screen, pull up the credit, whatever you need to look at. And so one of the things we did is we created these underwriting coaches. And so they're in a zoom room, basically eight hours a day where, the agents can go in with their file and then say, hey, Lori, look at this. Like, I don't understand this. Or what are your thoughts on that model versus a mentorship model? I think that's a great idea. I think having that information in front of them would probably be very advantageous for them. I really think the best agents that I've seen are the ones that have assistance and assistance, not underwriters specifically, but they've trained them to be able to actually underwrite and speak to underwriters in our language. Like underwriting is like an IT thing. I and mean, when you talk to IT, they talk a totally different language than, you know, yeah, all these acronyms and stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about? Right. Right. Yeah. But I think the coaching model, I think it's a great idea. And I think it gets agents to a point where they feel more confident in selling mortgages. I think at the end of the day, the idea of an agent is to, you know, go out there, find the clients, sell the mortgages and have an assistant there that inputs the information and handles the underwriting aspect of it with the underwriter. That gives the agent a lot more time to go out there and start selling mortgages again. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. Like I remember one time I was talking to this guy and he said, you know, mortgages is one of those few industries where we do the sales and the installation. You got to do the marketing, the sales and the installation. So you got to make the phone ring and it's a very technical product. And so you don't usually see the sales guy who also does the installation. So he sells you a big computer system. You don't see him then go into his truck and come and grab it. It's usually there's a sales guy, there's an installation guy, and then there's somebody doing the marketing. But in mortgages, you have to wear all three hats. And Absolutely. that's what makes it challenging. And if you have one of the hats as a weakness, you have to hire or have help in that hat. You know, And then I think you can still be successful. But, but the, um, the challenging part is what makes it exciting and fun. It does. Yes. But that's where we get paid really well. Like, I mean, I think we do get paid exceptionally well for the amount of education that you need to be a mortgage agent, mortgage broker. Okay, well, so what's your last sort of advice? Somebody's new. What would your last piece of advice be for them? Last piece of advice, you know, get all the education you can, you know, mentor up with an experienced mortgage broker, you know, make sure you're talking to your underwriters and having those conversations, understanding different lenders products as well is a big key to it. You know, all the products are relatively the same in terms of, you know, the document requirements, but there is little niches that you need to understand and know. It's important that they understand that before submitting a deal or just having the conversation with the underwriter prior to submitting a deal and right. creating those relationships. Relationships is the biggest key in this industry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a team sport. It's not, you know, Hey, I've seen sometimes people in out of mortgage brokering, basically ranting about their underwriter in not positive light. And I'm like, dude, you are literally shooting yourself in both feet. You think the next time you send them a file that they're going to be like, oh, I'm excited to help you out. Like, no, like you got to remember there are people on the other end of this. And if you work well with people, you're going to get way more yeses than no's. So absolutely. Um, they're not here to decline deals. I'm here for you to get paid. I'm here for me to get paid and for Scotiabank to get paid. It's a, it's a team adventure. Yeah. Everybody has to win. Hey, Matt, thanks, buddy, for chatting with me. I appreciate your time. You know, it's awesome to connect. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. All right, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation I had with Matt. 
and got some ideas in terms of how to work better with your underwriter, with your lender partners. A couple quick things. If you're a rookie mortgage broker and you're like, man, I want to figure out how to get my business going, I can tell you learning how to fund mortgages is an important part of it. I believe there's three things, finding business, converting it, and funding it. Go check out our webinar, rookie2rockstar.ca. One of the things that we do that's unique is we actually give you access to a 40 hour a week underwriter that's in a Zoom room that you can show up, ask your questions, show your file, look at the docs, help you figure out what to do with it because time kills all deals. And it's important for you to be able to get that kind of support, I believe. So go check that out. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.